On July 9th, 2018, the home of Alan and Carla Rutherford was set on fire. Alan managed to get out of a window and made it to a neighbor's house where he begged for help. He was nude and his entire body was burned and bleeding. The neighbor, Karen Monk, didn't even recognize Alan at first. She called 911 and tried to comfort the man as they waited for emergency services to arrive. When firefighters arrived, they found Carla still inside the burning house and managed to get her out, but she didn't survive the fire. When investigators spoke to Alan, who was amazingly still alive, he told them that his house had been set on fire intentionally and that someone very close to him and his wife had done it. This is Monsters. Richard Taylor was born on February 15, 1976 in the Hamilton area of Ontario, Canada. Hamilton is about 42 miles or 68 kilometers southwest of Toronto at the western point of Lake Ontario. His parents were Richard and Carla Taylor and the father went by Rick while the son went by Rich or Richie when he was younger. Four years later, the couple had a son named Chris. In 1981, the family moved to a house at 8 Greening Court just outside of Hamilton in a town called Dundas. In an interview, Chris described the area, saying, quote, It was like Pleasantville. We walked to public school. We walked to high school. We tobogganed in Grove Cemetery. We played on the court until all hours of the night. We probably drove the neighbors crazy. He and Rich would also tell people how they never locked their door growing up and friends would just come and go as they pleased, even when they weren't home. Sometimes they would come home and a friend would already be there just watching television waiting for them to get home. The brothers both played sports, but it was Rich who was the star baseball player at Parkside High School. He was named Male Athlete of the Year for the 1994-1995 school year. Chris and Rich were close growing up and were never known to cause trouble. The seemingly perfect family didn't last though and in 1995, Rick and Carla divorced. Carla stayed in the house with the boys and Rick moved out. He eventually remarried and Rich would tell a detective during his police interview that he felt like his mother was there for him growing up but his father had taken off. Carla worked at McMaster University Medical Center as a medical technologist and she eventually began dating a colleague named Alan Rutherford, who went by Al. Al grew up in Fisherville, south of Hamilton, closer to Lake Erie. He was an environmentalist who rode his bike to work and didn't like seeing people let their cars idle. Al was extremely fit. He biked with the Halton Outdoor Club and ran the Boston Marathon. He also wanted to help other people just as much as the environment and had given blood more than 100 times. Al and Carla eventually married in 2007, and both Rich and Chris described him as treating them like his own sons despite him having his own children from a previous marriage. They said that he would do anything for Carla. Al moved into the house on Greening Court and did his part to take care of the neighborhood mowing lawns in the summer and he owned a snowblower to keep driveways clear in the winter. 
After high school, Rich attended McMaster University and played baseball for the school. In 1997, he helped the school win their first national baseball championship. He graduated from McMaster University with a Bachelor of Arts. He then went to Medi College in Buffalo, New York, where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Education. He then returned to Carlinell's home and began attending the Ontario College of Teachers in 2002. He got a job with the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Rich began teaching physical education at Billy Green Elementary, and the kids liked him. He was said to be funny, and the kids had a lot of fun with him. His colleagues, however, didn't have as much praise about his personality. They described him as being somewhat mean and arrogant. His colleagues also said that he constantly complained about not having any money. Some of the staff even said that money would go missing when he was around. Once, $1,800 collected for a ski trip went missing, and a custodian even caught Rich stealing at one point. When Rich left Billy Green Elementary in 2017, incidents of missing money stopped, but they started at Hess Street School where he had begun teaching. After moving schools, he began telling colleagues that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and took 24 days off near the end of the school year. Rich met Evangelia Papadimitrio, who goes by Vange, in the early 2000s. She was the coordinator of group fitness and instructional programs at Toronto Metropolitan University. The two dated for a few years and got married on July 9, 2005. Though people said that Rich seemed more concerned with the financial burden of a wedding than being happy about marriage. Vange would say that she ended up buying her own engagement ring and that how much money Rich had was not a concern for her when they got married. It might have been a good idea to focus on it a little more than she did though because once they were married, they quickly began building debt. Rich's father helped the couple purchase a home in Oakville just north of Hamilton. They had the mortgage from the house as well as multiple credit cards that were maxed out. After they were married, they had no children and both had full-time jobs, so what could they be spending all of their money on? Well, Rich and Vange both liked to shop. Vange bought new clothes and Rich always had the latest gadgets. They also didn't seem to cook. Their house was full of takeout menus and it seemed that Rich had a love of Tim Hortons. A popular Canadian restaurant that serves coffee, donuts, and other fast food items, Tim Hortons is comparable to a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks in the United States. It's a popular place in Canada. So much so that there are more Tim Hortons locations than there are McDonald's. But it seemed that Rich was a super fan. He ate Tim Hortons food every day, many days and multiple times a day. After the Taylors had children, Rich would get breakfast at the restaurant with the kids. He would then go back for lunch on his weekdays, and on weekends, he would pick something up from Tim Hortons and go visit his mother. I promise, this episode is not sponsored by Tim Hortons, but it could be. This spending regularly put them in the red, which would then cause the Taylors to be hit with fees for bouncing checks or overdrawing their account. Since Rich handled all of their finances... Vange had no idea how dire their financial situation had become. The two years before the murder of the Rutherfords, Vange didn't have a credit card or even a debit card. Rich would make sure that she had cash on her and promised to go to the bank to get her a replacement debit card, but he never did. By that time, Vange was under the impression that they had more than $100,000 in their savings account. 
It was in the summer of 2018 that Rich's house of cards began to crumble around him. Vange's parents purchased tickets for the couple to fly to Greece for vacation. Vange's family was Greek and the couple had taken their honeymoon there but hadn't been back since. The airfare was paid for, but once they got to Greece, they were supposed to pay their own expenses. Not a problem for Vange, who thought they had a six-figure savings account, but for Rich, it was a big problem. There was no way he would be able to pay for the vacation, and he wasn't about to let his family know that he was actually broke. The trip was scheduled for July 11th, so Rich had to do something before then. On July 4th, Rich and Vange's children stayed with Carla and Al for three days so the Taylors could get ready for their upcoming trip. On the morning of Friday, July 6th, Rich went to his mother and stepfather's house to pick up the children. I, I got there and we had breakfast on Saturday and she wanted Al Bill's uh, model planes and he's won awards for them and he displays them in this... Uh, bad old wall unit that they have at the house and my mom wanted to surprise him with a new display so I do woodworking and stuff outside of teaching she wanted me to build a display case for his planes so we were going downstairs to uh, take some measurements to see what worked best and one of the dogs as I was going down tripped me as I was going downstairs and that's when I fell down her flight of stairs in the, the basement. And she was at the, at the bottom and I kind of fell under her at the end and she said she, did her, she didn't complain, she said her knee hurt, hurt but I couldn't really move my legs so the, we went to the hospital and that's on Friday, Saturday, sorry. Spent five hours at the hospital getting my leg checked out. Once again, she dropped everything and looked up, stayed with my kids and stuff, and my wife came in, stayed at the hospital with me, and then she stayed for dinner, and um, Al came out because uh, my car had left at, the, at their house, so he drove, like, they'd do anything for me and my kids and my family, like, they were, he... He was a nerdy guy, and we always joked about that between my brother and our friends. But he like loved loved my mom. Like my dad and my mom split up, and it was bad and it was hard. But like, Al loved my mom and made her happy. So Rich did woodworking on the side. He and his brother had started a side business making chairs, but the business never took off. Rich had also tried to make and sell charcuterie boards, but that venture failed as well. Rich had actually gotten quite a bit of money from a friend to invest in that business and never paid it back. Carla wanted to surprise Al with a new display case for his model planes, but while going down the stairs, Rich was tripped by one of the Rutherford's dogs and fell. He claimed to have injured his knee so badly he was taken to the emergency room. Doctors x-rayed his leg and didn't find any broken bones, but Rich would later tell investigators that his leg hurt so bad that he couldn't walk or drive. Vange was stressed out that they wouldn't be able to go on their trip to Greece due to Rich's injury, but he seemed to believe it wouldn't be a problem and the couple continued preparing for the vacation. Rich contacted his brother asking to borrow money, but Chris turned him down. 
Rich then turned to his mother, who put $500 into his bank account, but told him that she needed the money back the next day to pay bills. It would be the last in a long string of times that Rich would borrow money and never pay it back. After Carla loaned Rich money, she texted Chris and suggested they talk to Rich about his financial problems after they got back from Greece. This was the first time she brought the subject up to Chris, which showed that she must have been extremely concerned about his situation. The same day, Rich, Vange, and their children went shopping, and Rich could be seen on surveillance, not limping, but also stealing a loofah. He purchased other items, but not the loofah. This would not be the first time Rich shoplifted, as he was caught before, but the charges were dropped. That evening, Vange took a sleeping pill that had been prescribed by her doctor, and she and the children went to bed. Rich slept on the floor in the living room, something he did occasionally due to back pain. Last night? Yes. When this happened, where were you? I was at home, um, sleeping uh, with my son. Um, he came down. I couldn't sleep too much. At about 2 o'clock, I put Netflix on. I was watching Sicario, which is... Uh, and then my son came down, I had to turn it off because it's a pretty violent movie. Um, and he just, he was upset and he came down and laid with me for about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, maybe around there. Um, when he fell asleep, I took him back upstairs slowly and uh, went back down. I just wasn't sleeping in, with my wife because my knee, so I was laying on the, uh, the floor downstairs. But, at about 3.30 on the morning of July 9th, 2018, someone entered Al and Carla's home. There was no sign of forced entry, so it's believed that a key was used to unlock the front door. The Rutherfords had two chocolate labs, Kara and Cody. Both dogs were in crates in separate rooms and typically didn't bark, especially people they knew. The intruder went to Al and Carla's bedroom, poured a medium petroleum distillate onto the floor around the bed, and threw a match into the fuel. The fire immediately engulfed the entire bed, and Al jumped up and tried to get out of the room. The door wouldn't open, but it's unknown why. It was either blocked, or maybe the assailant was holding it closed. Al didn't give up. He jumped out of the bedroom window to the ground 10 feet or 3 meters below. Al tried to go back in the house through the patio door, but it was locked. He tried to get back in through another door, but was unsuccessful. Despite being heavily burned and bleeding, Al made his way to the front of the house and entered through the unlocked front door. He desperately tried to get to Carla, but the flames were too strong. He opened the patio door and let Kara out into the backyard. Then he went downstairs and tried to get Cody to leave the house, but she refused. Al eventually had to give up and go get help. He staggered to his neighbor's house and pounded on the door. When she answered, all she saw was a nude man who looked like he was melting. He told her that their house had been firebombed and that Carla was still inside. The neighbor, Karen Monk, dialed 911 and told them about the fire. When she returned to Al, she asked him if he wanted her to call anybody. He responded, quote, don't call Rich. He's the one that did this and he'll already know about it. Firefighters arrived on the scene and were able to recover Carla's body from the burning house, but she was pronounced dead on the scene. It's been reported that Cody was finally coaxed out of the house and managed to survive. 
Though Al suffered burns over 95% of his body, he was able to tell six different people that he believed his son-in-law was responsible for the fire, and that he believed the motive was financial. He referred to the person responsible as both Rich and Rick, but he also said he was Carla's son and his son-in-law. Investigators would later check on Rich's father, Rick, but it was verified that he was three hours away at the time the fire was set. Rick also had no motive to kill Al or Carla. What was the relationship like between Al and your dad? To me, it was, like, non-existent. Like, I, 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 when they were together, like I said, they didn't socialize. I, I, like, at parties, like, it might be a hello or something like that, but there wasn't, there was no, they didn't fight. Like, there was no ever screaming matches that I, I saw. I don't know, it's in front of all the family and stuff, but... Um, as far as I know, the, Alan, my dad didn't get along, but they didn't, like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't get along, but it just, the only time they saw each other, as far as I know, was Christmas time and kids' birthdays. And they were still with each other? Oh, yeah, they just sit on one side of the room and, you know, or Did one they room. ever chat? Have you ever seen them have, like, a beer together? No. No, no. I've never. Not like that? Just kind of in the same the, room? But same room, and but kind of maybe oblivious to each other. Okay. Yeah. Al was taken to the trauma center at Hamilton General Hospital. Al's daughters arrived at the hospital where the doctor told them he wouldn't survive. Later that morning... Rich got a call from his father, Rick, who told him there was a fire on Greening Court and suggested that he call his mother to make sure she was okay. Rich said he called her, but there was no answer. Vange then used the computer to look up news of the fire, and when she saw a picture of the partially burned house, she immediately knew it was her in-laws. The news said that there was one fatality. Rich texted his brother, but Chris ignored it, thinking Rich was just asking for money again. Rich finally called, and when Chris answered, he gave him the news. Chris and his family drove to Rich's home in Oakville. By the time they went to the police station to talk to investigators, Al had passed away. The investigators were now working a double homicide, but they already had a suspect. So I'm trying to wrap my head around... Um... Why he would come out? Because he, he got out of the house. That's, yeah, what they said. Barely. Mm-hmm. I read, read on the page, well, in the article that my wife read to me, I was in, said that he, it said that he was found on the grass or something. So that's what the article said. But he made some utterances about Rick or Rich. Mm-hmm. And so, um... That's why I was trying to get what your relationship was yeah. like. I wonder where he would get that. Do you know any other Rick or Riches? I, I don't know anymore. referring of, to? I, like the, uh, the detective in there said, he goes, maybe he was trying to get them to call me. But even like this morning, I said, I don't know anybody on that street other than we have a, a friend from baseball growing up. Um, 
Joey Costigan, and I tried to call him this morning because he lives on the end of the street to say, like, when we didn't know yet. Um, but I, he he did a lot of, like, modeling. He did, not modeling, um, making models, sorry. Um, they were members of the Yacht Club. I, I honestly don't know their friend pool. Um, While being interviewed, Rich openly lets the investigators take his phone and download the contents. Both Chris and Rick did the same thing. While this was happening, forensic investigators were examining the Rutherford home. The fire was clearly isolated to the bedroom. There was a hole in the floor and the ceiling at the foot of the bed, meaning that that was the origin point of the fire. All that was left of the bed were the metal coils. There was a tin can that had had coins inside that were all now melted. The rest of the house was relatively untouched. There was a propane tank at the barbecue grill in the backyard that was unaffected by the fire. Right inside the front door, on top of a wall, was a box of wooden matches. It was a box of 40 matches, but when counted, there were only 39. Rich was put under surveillance, and on July 10th, he was seen driving to a gravel lot and spent about 20 minutes walking around looking for something on the ground. He was not using a cane and didn't have a limp. Members of the surveillance team said that he eventually jogged back to his van. Later that same day, he told investigators that there was no way he could have lit his mother and stepfather's house on fire because he could barely walk. He told them he couldn't even drive. He said, quote, I can't even walk down. How am I going to get there and light their house on fire? On July 12th, Rich went to the police station where he could be seen limping and using a cane. From there, the surveillance team followed him to Tim Hortons, then to the bank, and then an insurance office. All without using a cane or having a limp. On July 13th, he was back at the police station again with a limp and a cane. Investigators believe that Rich intentionally fell down the stairs and faked a knee injury in order to give himself a reason that he couldn't have killed the Rutherfords. Rich was questioned about his limp being turned off and on later in the investigation. Who's that? I... Can't tell. Can't tell? Who do you think it might be? It looks like it could be me. It is you. That's you, under surveillance, July 10th. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing walking in that ditch? I'd driven by there the day before, after I heard my mom, I went for a drive with by myself. And when I got back, I realized something had flown out the window. Some papers had flown out the window, and I went back to see if they were there. Okay, so I'm sorry, say, say that to me again. So this is the day that we found out. Um, after I found out, I went for a drive to the base. There was a baseball park close by, and I just went there and used to play baseball and was thinking of baseball and stuff like that. Went for a little drive on the stuff that I used to take the kids for a drive in the things. Had the windows down. Some papers blew out, and I was just like, whatever. And then the next day, I was like, oh, I was out driving again getting some stuff, and I was like, oh, I'll see if I can find the papers. I didn't know what they were. They were just in the front seat, so 
So I mean, there's a, the pictures are a little bit uh, better when you're close up. But I mean, yeah, it's you. And this is our surveillance report. It shows it's Tuesday, July 10th. They're set up on you, Richard Taylor. They're set up at your address. And then it goes to list that they see you walking. And the thing that is very clear about all these pictures, there's no cane. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about that. I left it in the car because walking through that stuff, get the cane would be very good. Okay, but where's where's the limp? I'm limping there. Like I don't know. You want to which see. which which leg is injured? Uh, it's my this this one I think my left. He can't even remember which leg he had injured. It was his right. In this clip, he first suggests it was his left, then stops and says it might have been his right. How do you not remember which leg you injured? It was only six months ago. Investigators got warrants to search Rich's home and to obtain bank and cell phone records. When they searched his house, they found unpaid bills and a number of bank statements that showed the Taylors had a lot of money in their savings account. It turned out that Rich had been making fake bank statements and showing them to Vange in order to keep her in the dark about their finances. One doctored statement showed a balance of $131,261.61, but he had just taped that number over the original statement and photocopied it. The original statement showed that the account was overdrawn by $454.15. Things were starting to fall apart, though, because Vange had recently been called by a debt collector regarding $23,000 in credit card debt that she didn't even know she had. Rich was able to convince her that it was a scam call. Investigators learned that the Taylor's internet service had been shut off for non-payment, so Rich had connected the family devices to his mobile phone as a hotspot. When he wasn't home, the internet didn't work, but he was able to convince Vange that it was just poor quality service. Investigators found a receipt for Shopper's Drug Mart that led them to the surveillance video that showed Rich walking around the store, no cane and no limp, and also shoplifting. During the search of his home, they also found a box of wooden matches that matched the box that was found in the Rutherford home. When Carla and Al's house was demolished, a fireproof safe was found and inside were the details of the couple's life insurance and Carla's will. It turned out that Rich was the executor of the will and he was expected to receive at least $420,000 in the event of his mother's death. That would not be split with Chris, it was the amount they would each get. On August 18, 2018, Carla's life insurance company deposited $17,693 into Rich's account. He immediately withdrew $4,000 in cash. It's unknown where that money went. After a week, despite also getting a paycheck deposited into his account, there was only $10,000 left. Within two months, their account was overdrawn. 
Then Rich received $21,723 from a tax-free savings account Carla had, but $10,000 of that money was immediately withdrawn and it's unknown where the money went. Not only was Rich receiving money, but he was still refusing to pay bills. He was supposed to pay $6,800 in probate fees and claimed to have put a check in the mail, but it must have gotten lost. Chris eventually paid the bill for him. Rich was supposed to pay for Carla's wake, but never did, so Chris took care of that as well. At the same time, Rich was going out to eat for every meal and spending with no limits. On January 23, 2019, after Rich left work, he was pulled over and arrested for the murders of Carla and Al. He was brought in for a second interview where he learned that he had been surveilled for about six months. He had no idea he had been caught turning his limp on and off. The detective asked Rich how he was going to pay for hotels and food during their trip to Greece, and Rich said he had $6,000 in cash hidden in his sock drawer. The detective told him that his house was thoroughly searched and no money was ever found in his sock drawer. He then explained that he had moved the money to the basement rafters. When asked if the money was still there, he said no but couldn't explain what happened to it. The detective questioned Rich about why he slept on the floor in their living room. Since you hurt your knee, yeah. you slept on uh, the floor uh, one day assist your bad back in two Well, no, it wasn't just this way. I said in previous times I've slept on the floor. In the oh, I'm sorry. Living room for my back. But this was to make sure that your wife didn't bump into your... So you slept... It's just easier than sitting... I find being on a bed with the compression so like just flat surface, nothing. Um, do you remember using your phone or Googling anything specific uh, that night? I don't remember. I remember using my iPad to watch, start watching a movie and then my son came down. So, Do you recall, um, well put it this way, your, your iPad, mm -hmm. what, well I guess it would record what time the movie was watched. Would that be accurate? Netflix, I guess. If it maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a. A tablet. So yeah. I, I, maybe I guess, but I don't. Do you, have, do you know what time you started watching that? It's probably in the neighborhood of two o'clock or so, something like that. At two o'clock in I, the. I believe around two o'clock in the morning. Okay. Um, how long did you watch that for? Not too long, because my son came downstairs and. Uh, he crawled beside me and he had a bad dream and we were just cuddling there for a little bit and basically just shoved the the iPad under the couch kind of thing and um, it was on the floor and I just pushed it under. Um, he laid with me for I don't I don't even know how long and then took him up to bed and uh, once he was back in bed I just went back down and fell asleep. Do you know what time you put him back in his bed? Not even, no. Probably, maybe in between 2.30 and 3, somewhere in there. I, I don't know. The knee injury and his son waking up around 2.30 in the morning is his alibi, but it can't be corroborated. 
His son was interviewed and he didn't remember getting up and going downstairs. Of course, he was only four years old at the time and not a great witness. Even if his son had come downstairs, Rich said that he put him back to bed between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning, which would have given him enough time to get to the Rutherford's house 30 minutes away. Vange also said she didn't see or hear Rich all night after going to bed. She told investigators that her son had come into their bedroom in the night and cuddled with her for a bit before she put him back in bed. The other problem with Rich's story about what he was doing in the early morning hours of July 9th was what his cell phone recorded. He was at his house the whole morning, but between 4.04 a.m. and 4.41 a.m., his iPhone logged 1,806 steps. That's a little over 48 steps per minute. That sounds like someone pacing. 4.04 a.m. would have been the time that Rich would have gotten back from his mother's house that morning. The fire was set at about 3.30 a.m. and it was exactly a 30-minute drive back to his house in Oakville. For the next 37 minutes, it appeared as though Rich paced around his house for some reason. He wasn't laying on the floor watching a movie like he had told detectives. Rich disagrees with the investigator's theory. You drive to the area of your parents, you park down the street, you walk up to the house, I don't know, unlock the door, check and see what the dog's reactions are, nope, no barking, a little bit of shaking, but I'm good, nobody woke up, go back, practice, get your nerve up, go into the house, pour the fluid, fire the match, and boom, the fire goes up, you run out the door, as you get to the door, why you put them down, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know that, um, you get back in your car, and you drive home. And the reason why you do it is because you need money. Which I'm not going to see for years. And the fact that I'm leaving my house for two hours in the middle of the night to do this when and my wife gets up all the time. She comes and I said, where did you go for two hours in the middle of the night? On the night that you're mother and I'll get killed. But what you just finished telling me is that your wife takes sleeping pills. Yeah, but she gets up all the time. But that's the problem. Vange didn't get up and go downstairs the entire night. Even when their son got up, she put him back to bed and didn't go downstairs. He said he wouldn't see any money for years, but he had already received over $30,000 by the time he had been arrested. So, none of his reasons for not killing his mother and stepfather were valid. Rich then tried to tell the detective that it was possible that Al had set the fire. Rich explained that he had talked to two police officers who said it looked like Al had done it. According to Rich, the officers had said that they thought Al tried to torch the house for his own monetary gain, but didn't know what he was doing and accidentally set himself on fire. But what exactly would Al have to gain from burning the house and killing his wife? He wouldn't have gotten the house. It belonged to Carla. She didn't have life insurance that would pay out to him. He would have gotten her retirement income, but why would he have wanted that? Why would he want his wife dead in order to just get her retirement income? It didn't make sense. Then his plan was to frame Rich for setting the fire. 
The detective didn't buy it, and it didn't match what he had said about Al during his initial interview. He described how much Al loved Carla and how he would do anything for her. Of course, when Rich was asked what officers had told him this, one was a friend of his and the other he couldn't remember. Seems convenient. Richard Taylor was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and ordered to have no contact with Al's daughters, Karen Monk and her family, the paramedics who tended to Al, as well as a number of other people. By the time the trial began, Vange had separated from Rich and sold their house. The house sold in June of 2019 for $720,000. With the money left over from the sale, she paid off $96,000 worth of debt she never even knew she had until her husband was arrested. During the trial, the defense called Rich as their only witness. He told the jurors that it was true that he had lied. Yeah, no shit. He said he had lied to Vange to insulate her from their financial situation. He admitted to lying to Vange about their finances. He admitted to lying about paying back family members when they loaned him money. He admitted to lying to his brother about sending a check to the probate lawyer. He admitted to lying about how hurt his knee was. He admitted that he was able to drive even though he told investigators he wouldn't have been able to drive to his parents' house the night of the fire. He admitted to lying about other things to the police so they would let him go. He lied to anyone and everyone, but he wasn't lying to the jury when he said he didn't kill his mother and Al. Sure. On June 17, 2022, Richard Taylor was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder. He was given two automatic life sentences with parole eligibility after 25 years. The sentences will run concurrently. He'll be 71 years old when he's eligible for parole. Richard Taylor was someone who wanted something for nothing. He needed more and more money to feed his expensive lifestyle of shopping and eating fast food. Instead of working to eliminate his debt and spend less money, he killed his mother and stepfather for inheritance like a true monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.